homelessness is something we think about. It's easy to define. You know, if I asked you, like, what is it that you think of when you think of someone who's homeless, you probably say, like, someone who's on the street um, or in a shelter. Yeah. But what about the person that's sleeping on their friend's brother's couch right. for that night because it's cold? Yeah. Um, or what about the mom with kids that um, is staying with her aunt in public housing, but if they, if they found out that she's staying there, they would be forced to leave? You know, because they can't have more than people that are on the lease. Or the same thing, same scenario with any other landlord. Or what about the person um, that is a college student um, that's just crashing with friends? Um, and when you kind of start to think about that, that's what I think the, the majority of people that are kind of in this gray zone of ambiguity mm-hmm. um, of poverty. And that's it is part of how complicated it is. They don't think of the, the mothers with kids or the people, the elderly people that were in a care facility that something happened, they closed down, and you know they're kind of being juggled around and people have fall through the cracks. Sam Wolf is the homeless program coordinator for the city of Chattanooga. In this episode, we discuss the state of homelessness in Chattanooga, the dignity of all of our citizens, and introduce an exciting new initiative to serve the most vulnerable in our community. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Busby. Well, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Yes, my guest today is Sam Wolf. Uh, he's recently taken a new position with the city of Chattanooga to be the homeless program coordinator. Is that is that correct? Yes. So tell me tell me about that position. Uh, is, is it new? Are you the first one in this role? I am not. So my um, predecessor Heather Hoffman um, worked for two years um, when the program was initially created to combat veteran homelessness in our community. Uh, Mayor Burke announced an initiative in 2014 um, to address veteran homelessness. Um, within our city, and since then we've housed 358 veterans to date, um, and that was the the sole focus of, of Heather when she was in my position. She did some amazing work of bringing landlords together, talking with different service providers in our community, establishing weekly meetings to talk with people, um, and obviously that work uh, wouldn't have been done without our agency partners, um, MASH, which is part of Volunteer Behavioral Health, um, the VA, Homeless Healthcare, um, Community Kitchen, all these great people that are doing amazing face-to-face work with people in our community. Yeah, and that, that was an incredible 30-second preview of the entire episode right there. <laughs> um, because what's exciting about what's going on right now uh, it, with this city initiative that, that Sam is taking on is there seems to be some pretty progressive programs to, to begin to uh, sort of fight homelessness and, and, and really help those people within our city uh, who aren't as fortunate as a lot of people. But uh, you know, before we really get into that, Tell us a little bit about yourself, because you've had so many life changes recently. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we've, I've known Sam for five, six years. Yeah, back, back when the camp house was over on William Street, yeah. and I was a college student just avoiding class and hanging out over <laughs> there. Yeah, drinking great coffee. Um, yeah, so I um, am fortunate to have been a part of the service community, serving people experiencing homelessness for around four years now. I started out... Um, fresh out of college as a case manager at um, Johnson Mental Health. I had no idea what um, any of the stuff of poverty or mental health or, or homelessness looked like. 
Um, I actually was a server at the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club before that position. Yeah. <laughs> so total opposite. A total opposite. I And I, I paid my way through college on that job. I, I loved working there. Some amazing people um, really took the time out of their day to talk with me and invest with me. Um, but yeah, I went from that to working at a community mental health outpatient facility. And for those of you who don't know what that looks like, basically those are the places in our community that can give mental health services to people without insurance or that are at the bottom of the barrel as far as having financial means. Um, They get grant funding from the state to serve those folks. And so it's a lot of um, individuals um, from all walks of life, some folks that have means, some folks that don't, Um, And that was the first time I really worked with someone who um, was experiencing homelessness. Um, I remember I was working with this this guy that the AIM Center um, had housed, and the AIM Center um, has their permanent supportive housing program, and they paid for him to have a hotel. That's on MLK, right, on the west side there? Yeah. Yeah. They the AIM Center they do a, a ton of stuff, and I could spend an hour talking about all the amazing things they have going on. Um, I really encourage anyone who hasn't looked at or check them out to check out all the services they do. It's basically like a clubhouse and supportive services for people with mental health issues. Um, and they have a, a dynamite housing program that really helps a lot of really needy people. Um, so when I started working with this guy, he had been in his uh, his apartment for about a month. Um, and he had, before that, had been homeless for six years. Um, yeah. And my job at the time was just to work with him, check up with him, make sure he was keeping his mental health appointments, take care of any other needs that he would need kind of moving forward um, as case manager. And I remember early on talking to the guy, he he said he shared with me some of his struggles in his house. Mm. Um, He was saying that he has all these responsibilities and stuff, and it's been really stressful for him. And I remember me sitting back um, with my preconceived notions. I was like, what what responsibilities do you have, man? Like, I call and set up uh, someone to come pick you up, take you to your appointments. They take you back here. You have someone paying for your bills. You have all this stuff taken care of for you. If you need furniture, I can get that for you. If you need food, I can help you get that. All these things, right? And this is before I'd, I'd worked with people. I hadn't really seen into this world. I was foreign to it. I had all my biases um, before they'd been exposed. And he says, to me, he's like, I have all these responsibilities. I have um, these pots, these pans I got to clean. I have this nice stereo here I got to take care of and make sure no one damages. I have this carpet I have to, to vacuum. I have this floor I have to sweep. I have these windows I have to clean. He said, before, for six years, the only thing I had to worry about was me and my phone. Yeah. Everything else, I knew exactly where to go to go get and get that day. I knew where to go every single day to get food. I knew where every single or to go every single day to get some clothing if I lost my jacket or someone stole it. I knew where to go every single day to lay my head at, at night. Um, and now he said there's all these other things. And I think that was the first moment that I um, was really exposed to how different um, a world people um, who experience homelessness live from my day-to-day realities. Um, we, we all have implicit biases that we have around other people. You know, I assume you, Matt, are capable of doing X, Y, and Z based off of my ability to do things. Sure. Um, when you talk about people in different socioeconomic backgrounds or dealing with mental health issues or having substance abuse issues, you can't make those same assumptions. And that's not to say that those, you're, you're judging those individuals or you're saying that they're suddenly less than you. It's just their circumstances are so different than yours. Something that's simple for you to accomplish is radically different. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so, you know, you started out in the mental health field. So is that, is that primarily the way you're describing that? Is that, is that, 
is, is that something that you see across the spectrum of different kind of home, homeless folks, or is that specifically with people dealing with mental health issues? I think it's specifically with people dealing with mental health issues. Um, that, it, it, more often than not, is a very visible population. Um, it's kind of the stereotypical um, person experiencing homelessness that we think of um, when we conjure that image in our mind. It's the, the person that looks disheveled. Um, is not able to maintain housing and may be aggressive towards you if you talk to them, um, maybe hearing voices or hallucinating. Um, but in reality, that is not um, the typical person experiencing homelessness. Okay. Um, and it's something that I, I really try to talk a lot and educate people on um, because that is definitely a very needy population. It's a very visible population. It's a population that requires a ton of assistance. Yeah. But the vast majority of people that experience homelessness um, are working class individuals that get behind on their bills and can't pay their rent, mm. and suddenly they're just have nowhere to go. Yeah, um, I uh, worked at a place um, called Homeless Healthcare um, early on in my career. After a few different jobs in my career, is that on Eleventh Street? Yes, it's across okay. the street from the Community Kitchen. Um, they're an amazing organization. Um, they um, receive federal funding to provide free health care for people experiencing homelessness. They also have case management, a psychologist on staff, a dentist, a, a substance abuse treatment program. It's all um, one-stop shop. Um, and what I was really fortunate to do and be a part of the team there is I did outreach um, for them. Okay. And so I would go out and I would engage um, individuals, wherever they were, under the bridges, in the woods, um, on the street and just try to talk with them, understand their story and bring them into services. Um, so I was, I was really fortunate, um, to be able to walk alongside a lot of people in a really difficult time in their life. Um, and I got to hear their stories and it, it, it's something that, you know, every single job I've had and working with every single person, every new person changes my, um, perception on a population. Yeah. And I learn more every single day. Um, but that job really, I started to see just more and more and more and more people than I ever had before. And I started to have these stories pile up and I noticed, um, a lot of trends. Um, the most common thing was again, that folks just lost their job, um, due to either health issues or, you know, something yeah. kind of came up, but it, it happens to all of us, you know, maybe your car breaks down, maybe you get sick, maybe you have a family emergency. Um, the other day, I had to miss a meeting because my car wouldn't start in the morning. And so I had to, had to come into work super late. Um, and I was fortunate that the person that I report to was very gracious with me. And he said, you know, that's fine. It happens. Yeah. Uh, the people at the meeting said, again, same thing. We can reschedule this. Um, but a lot of folks who are living in poverty and have these jobs um, that are, are not as secure as mine, um, they, if that the same thing had happened to them, they would have been fired. And yeah. you know, that's not everyone. I can't speak for the, the majority of people in lower paying jobs, but it happens, you know, it, it, it happens to folks. Um, and if people are living paycheck to paycheck and they don't have a, a bank of money saved up to pay their rent next month, um, they'll lose their apartment. Yeah. And then they suddenly are forced out of the place that they've been living. And the, the thing I kept hearing from people that would talk to you at homeless healthcare was, you know, I thought there'd be people to have my back. I thought when I would come asking for help, someone would help me. Um, and now no one did. And here they are. Um, you know, and we all like to think that we have um, safety nets and things to kind of in place. And, um, you know, it just how long will that, can those people sustain you? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, um, homelessness, homelessness is an issue of money. 
it's yeah. an issue of poverty. Um, we There are issues um, like mental health and substance abuse that play into homelessness and make it worse and more complicated for people. But there are people that have mental health issues um, that have homes. There are people with substance abuse and addiction issues that have homes. Um, there's people with all the problems that people experiencing homelessness have that have homes. The difference is the people with those problems have the financial resources to maintain that housing, or they have someone in their life um, that's able to do it for them. Um, I worked with a lot of people back when I was at Johnson who had severe mental health issues um, that would do things that at times just wreck their apartments or they would not, they couldn't manage their money at all, but they had these amazing family members um, that would go out of their way to help support them. They would buy them new furniture, they'd fix up their apartment, they'd do all that. And if they didn't have that, they would have been out on the street and they would have been these people um, that you see all the time and you think of. Yeah, what's amazing about that too is the way it relates to some of the some of the other episodes that we've had on the podcast. So you know, recently we just had Joda mm-hmm. Tongnapnua talking about predatory lending. Yeah, and, and and when you know he said you know the the most likely person to take sort of one of these incredibly high interest loans that's a poverty trap are are working class people right. who have these low income jobs. Right. Who for whatever reason maybe maybe they had because they were sick and they missed three or four days of work their check wasn't what it needed to be to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's rent or electric or whatever the grocery bill, yeah. Um, and, and then also, you know, I, I think it, this was a long time ago, but you know, I think it was when we maybe talked to Jared Bingham of Chattanooga 2.0. You know, we were talking about freshman dropout rates at places like Chat State, mm-hmm. and, and a huge thing that plays into that freshman dropout rates at community colleges is what you mentioned. It's like they woke up and their car was, you know, wouldn't start, or they missed the bus to get to Chat State. And because of that, they start falling behind in their classes. And rather than seeking help, um, you know, they, they actually just let it go. And, and they end up dropping out after their freshman year yeah. uh, because they just don't have the support structures uh, to get them to places if, if, if something tragic like that happens. Yeah. Well, and often, too, um, navigating the process to get help is difficult. Um, and I mean, it's not to say that the people that help people don't do great work. Um, they, they do, and I've been a part of that and it's an incredibly difficult job. Um, but it's often that there's a lot of steps in the process. And so if you think about it, we've talked about these pitfalls that people can fall into anytime there's a step or a barrier for them getting what they need. That's another potential for that to be an obstacle that they can't climb over. So, I mean, one of the analogies I like to say a lot is you talk about someone, um, getting into a place like patent towers, you think, Oh, it's simple. You just go fill out the application, you turn it in and there you go. They even have a, a way for people to get in. Um, that don't have any type of income if someone will just pay $25 a month. Mm. There's a lot of folks out there that'll say, oh, $25 a month, that's not that's not that much money. That's It's virtually nothing. Um, but if you look at the process and all the different steps it takes to, fill the, to go about doing that, you say you have someone that's camping out in Brainerd. They're out in the woods. They have to find a way to get from Brainerd down two yep. patent towers. Yep. They have to get the application. You know, and so even just getting there, say they don't have money to take the bus, or say they do have money to take the bus, but it takes all day, um, and that's the opportunity they could be working or doing something else or taking care of um, something they did. So that's money lost. Mm-hmm. They got to get down here. They got to take the application. They got to fill it all out correctly. And I've seen a lot of applications, and I and I have my master's, <laughs> and it's I struggle with stuff. You know, and uh, I, uh, me is just like a, at average intelligence, like it's difficult. So it's whoever you are. Like it, these are they're incredibly difficult to navigate these forms and there's a lot of different things they ask and information. Um, so you have to go through and you have to fill out all that whole process. And so it's not something that someone can typically do right there. They have to take it and go work on it. So say the same individual goes down um, to the community kitchen in the day center 
to fill it out yeah. um, or say they don't have time to do they have to go all the way back out to Brainerd. All these steps are different modes of transportation. I have to take the bus again. Again, same problem. Um, but say they put it in their backpack and I start walking back down it and it starts raining. Yeah. Then that form gets ruined. They have to start all over again and it just delays the process even more. Mm-hmm. And so what seems like a relatively simple process of just filling out this form and taking it down somewhere um, for someone that doesn't have a car or a place to stay out of the rain or any of these things, like so their backpack could get stolen. It's, it's, it's difficult. And so like, imagine something that is, takes more of a process than just filling out an application for something. You have to be meeting with people, you have appointments, um, you have to follow up, you have to see different doctors, you have to take care of all the stuff to get the help you need. Um, it's a difficult process, it really is. Yeah. And it takes um, a lot of time for individuals and we assume, oh, well, they're just, they're experiencing homelessness, they must have nothing else to do. But a lot of the folks are working. I mean, so many folks that I worked with that they're out camping in the woods have jobs. Um, they just can't afford to to rent somewhere else, or they have like bills they have to pay on top of that, legal fees, medical expenses um, that are keeping them from getting apartments. Yeah, I mean, there's been all kinds of studies out there that show uh, what the true cost of poverty is, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I don't know if, if you if you know those stats off the top of your head, but I, I remember it being something like you know it, it's actually more expensive to be poor. Um, because there's so many things that, that kind of, you know, even lower middle class to middle class people just take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're kind of getting into that the way that sort of legal fees pile up and even like, you know, losing your driver's license and, and, and needing to get a new ID. Like these are such major, um, they, they seem like simple issues, but if you don't have transportation and, and you don't have a, you know, a regular income that provides, even even a small margin of what your basic expenses are, mm-hmm. uh, these become mountains. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's stuff just piles and it and it builds and it's something where as soon as you make one mistake, um, it, it your likelihood of having more and more mistakes and it becoming a problem just greatly increase. Well, I know annually you guys have an event called the Point in Time Count, and um, you know, I and, and that was just this past January. And yeah. my friend Paul Lucart. He, he lives here in Chattanooga now, and uh, he but he is a he was a caseworker and he got his start up in Chicago. Yeah, um, and he's actually told me some stories from his point in time count, and, and one of them was kind of remarkable. You know what I, the what I love about the the way you're kind of talking about your role is um, is you you truly see the humanity of these people. And I remember Paul telling me that the moment he realized that is, um, you know, they were doing this point in time count under a bridge in Chicago. And uh, his friends, you know, there were about three or four of them that went out together, and two of them went over to talk to the people around the campfire, Mm -hmm. and then he went throughout the rest of the bridge to really, you know, try and see where these people were living and find some other people. And uh, and he got to a point where he realized, so over here they had their, their cooking area. You could see their sleeping area, and he had walked over here, and, and this was their their. He realized he was stepping in the middle of their bathroom area. Yeah. And, and what was just so beautiful about that story is it clicked for him, um, how much dignity uh, these people had, even living under a bridge, the way they had structured and organized their lives. Yeah. Uh, in such a way that would just it would you know if you were to draw a map around these things, it would actually look like a home. Yeah. Like this is the living room, this is the kitchen, these are the bedrooms, this is the bathroom. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just remember that story that he told us, uh, and it's just this beautiful, uh, picture of the dignity of, of everybody. But, but I bring that up to, to ask you about Chattanooga's point in time count mm-hmm. and, and you guys recently did that. So explain what happens then. What is, what is the point? Cause this is a national thing that happens yeah, every January. Yeah. Yeah. So the point in time count, um, is a beautiful chaotic event, um, that is, we aim to take a snapshot 
um, of homelessness to see how many folks are out there sleeping on the streets or in shelters. Um, so we have a team of volunteers all come together and we send them out in packs of folks that go to try to um, go to locations where we know folks are camping um, or shelters and administer surveys to them um, to try to see how many folks we have on any given night. Um, I've had the fortune of um, doing the training for those both um, the past two years because of my role as the outreach person for homeless health care. Um, I actually developed a mapping system that lives at homeless health care um, to have to mark the different homeless encampment locations so we can coordinate outreach efforts um, with them. And so we would take those maps and give them to the team leaders and say, hey, these are locations that you're going to go. Um, they are, a lot of those were found by looking at the satellite images on Google Maps. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun to make those. Um, but we, so we send everyone out. We talk to them um, out in their camps, and it's they're all over Hamilton County. We've identified roughly a uh, hundred different um, encampment locations. Wow! Yeah, that um, that's incredible. Yeah, and that's it's that number's constantly in flux. Is the thing, uh, folks may have a tent set up for you know a couple of days, a few weeks, a month, and then they're gone. Um, it's it's not something where it's rare for those to be things that. Um, are there for a long amount of time. We have had camps that have been around for years and years and years, um, but often those are just locations where people routinely set up tents, um, and there's not many places left in Chattanooga that have a person that's been staying there for more than a year or okay. so. Um, so we send all the volunteers, we talk to the folks, um, and it's 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 always kind of hectic because it's at night, and I always like to say it's like you wouldn't want someone coming up to your house at right. 8 o'clock at night yeah, and being yeah. like, hey, <laughs> and I think to your point earlier I mean, everybody before, gets annoyed by the census that happens yeah. every 10 years. If yeah. somebody comes to your house, you got to fill it out. I mean, imagine that happening at 11 o'clock at oh, night. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's kind of, it's, it's always something like what I would do when I was doing outreach is I would allow people to refuse me. You know, like I wouldn't go and like open their tent or do anything like that. I would stand at a respectable distance and yell and say, hello, 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 it's Sam um, with Homeless Healthcare and whoever was out there with me because we you know, try to take more than one person. Um, and if they didn't if they didn't want to come out and talk with us, they didn't want to come out and talk with us. And there's plenty of times I knew folks were staying there. But, it, but again, it's like if I'm knocking on someone's door, I'm not going to just open their door and walk yeah. into their home. Yeah. You know, and it's again, like you're saying, I, I think that's. Um, a great story from Paul, and Paul's just an amazing person. I had the fortune of working with him for some time. Um, he's got a, a lot of really great stories and great perspectives on things. Um, but it is, it's people's, that's where they live, that like yeah. that's the, where they try to home. And we, I think it's a, a human trait to try to want to um, cultivate where we're living to be at something that's pleasant to us. Um, and there's even, I mean, there's folks like um, with severe mental health issues that will just like, yell at me and will not even like talk and that I know, but they have, they have their space and they have things organized and stuff like that. And it's not, I think it's really something that like people look at these places and because it doesn't look like what they're used to of their idea of a home, um, that they judge it and they think that, Oh, it's something different and it's doesn't apply to the same rules that I have. Um, and it doesn't mean the same thing to them that it does to me. Yeah, and I'll read this quote from you. Actually, it was in the in the paper. I'll put a link to this article down in the show notes. But uh, but you know, as you were preparing these volunteers to go out, you know, you said be mindful of people. I think one of the things to remember is this is someone's home. It may not be the home that you envision or the home that you that you like or think it's something that's nice. But most of these people, that's all they have. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and for many of the people out on the streets that you're going to talk to, you may be the only per- person that's been decent to them in months. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love the idea that you guys kind of went out in packs like this, um, but you reminded everybody about the dignity of these people, you know, before going out and engaging with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, can, do you guys know any statistics at this point for this year's um, I, I do not. Um, last year, so it, it kind of gets complicated because we, we talk about, like, the area that the count has performed is larger than just Hamilton County. Um, and it's that, that count last year um, was 576 people that were in shelters or in places not meant for human habitation. Um, I will say that I think that that number is low. Um, I think that we're probably within Hamilton County more towards like around a thousand people that are in Mm -hmm. like the category of staying in a place not meant for human habitation in the camp in in the woods or under a bridge or something like that, or just kind of moving around to doorsteps and stuff or in shelters. Um, and that's kind of based off of, um, looking at national averages, comparing other metropolitan areas with the same population density as us. Um, and, but there's a lot of error in that. So it could be higher, it could be lower. Um, it, it's just, it's always really tough to tell, um, that we like to say that the, the point in time count is this is the floor. Yeah, of okay. it. We know there's not less people than that, you know, that night. Um, but it's, it's something now where there's a lot of process of deduplicating and trying to check out the surveys. And we're starting to do a lot more stuff now of, of doing counts based off of um, people that enter records into our electronic, um, record system that different people providing services to people experiencing homelessness and collecting more and more data. And so we're moving more towards having it be more accurate over time. Um, but now it's just, it, it's hard to tell. It really, really is. Um, it's something where, you know, uh, we hadn't quite touched on this yet, but we, we kind of did a little bit with the whole poverty aspect, but you know, that's just people, um, that are staying on the street that night. Um, and homelessness is something we think about. It's easy to find. You know, if I asked you, like, what is it that you think of when you think of someone who's homeless? You know, you'd probably say, like, someone is on the street um, or in a shelter. Yeah. But what about the person that's sleeping on their friend's brother's couch right. for that night because it's cold? Yeah. Um, or what about the mom with kids that um, is staying with her aunt in public housing, but if they, if they found out that she's staying there, they would be forced to leave? You know, because they can't have more than people that are on the lease, or the same thing, same scenario with any other landlord. Or what about the person um, that is a college student um, that's just crashing with friends? Um, and it, when you kind of start to think about that, that's what I think the the majority of people that are kind of in this 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 gray zone of ambiguity mm-hmm. um, of poverty. And so it's something where there's different. We we it all goes back to kind of how the federal government defines things, and so. HUD has one definition of homelessness. Um, different organizations have different definitions of homelessness. Um, and the more traditional definition of like people on the street or in shelters or stuff, that's one definition. But then there's other definitions of people that are like couch surfing, as we, that we call it. Yeah. Um, and so homeless health care, the federal agency that funds them, their definition is that includes that kind of people that are couch surfing. Um, and they serve around 3,000 unique individuals wow. a year. Three to 4,000, it, it varies. Um, and so, I mean, when you look at that number compared to the people that are on the street, you know, and how many of those people have not had a place to stay in one night yeah. for that entire year, um, then the number gets a lot higher. And that's it is part of how complicated it is. You know, we may see, like, there may be um, 
the, those those this handful of folks that really cause a problem and there's so many different systems and so many different people in our community that know like oh there's this guy he's just very visible in the community like he is he is the 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 problem of homelessness in Chattanooga personified but they don't think of those thousands of other people yeah. they don't think of the the mothers with kids or the people the elderly people that were in a care facility that something happened they closed down and you know they're kind of being juggled around and people that fall through the cracks um there's one guy I really think about um, that I worked with in my time at homeless healthcare, um, and he he had a traumatic brain injury. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him John for the purpose of the story. Um, and John was an, an older gentleman. He was in his late 60s, um, and he, he had a traumatic brain injury a few years ago. And uh, for those of you who haven't really worked with people with traumatic brain injuries, it can it can cause wildly different effects on your mm-hmm. ability to think and like your cognition um, for John it was um, his ability to remember things and it, it was his ability to kind of walk around and so people um, really thought that John was just drunk all the time because he'd forget things and he kind of slurred his speech and he kind of he was almost kind of like childlike in some ways but he was this kind of rough looking like older man with a big long beard um, and John lived in and out of jail or the hospital or on the street and jumped around all these different places. Um, and there wasn't really, um, a coordination between those systems to yeah. look and identify like, who is this person? And so John, over the course of a year, had 27 different CT scans on his brains from all the different area hospitals. <laughs> um, he had about double that of times that he went to jail um, and it was all for stuff for usually like public intox or trespassing somewhere or, you know, um, all these different instances. And I'm not trying to say that the people, the, the first responders that worked with him or the people at the hospital necessarily did a bad job. Right. Um, because a lot of times, and I've worked with those people in the past, and, and I've seen them and have to make really tough calls with dealing with people. And if you haven't had the training, you don't know the resources, or you're not, you're not working with the same person over and over again you're going to keep making the same decisions based off your training. Sure. And I mean, and those people are there to serve the public good. And yeah. so, you know, th- yeah, they're, they're thinking of the broader questions of society and right. stuff. And, and, right. and so, yeah, that's, that's how they're trained to respond. Yeah. And so we, we came on, started working with John and we quickly realized what was going on with him and why he was acting this way. Um, and he wasn't getting any type of benefits or any, he wasn't getting disability. He had no insurance. He had nothing. Um, because he could never, he didn't have the mental capability to fill out these forms. Yeah. Um, and, and John is a very, very, very rare type of person that had, has fallen through the cracks to an extreme level, but those type of people exist, and they exist on all different ends of the spectrum. Some people you know, fall through the cracks in minor ways. Um, they just aren't getting some type of benefits that they should get, or there's something that kind of got mix, mixed up with their job or something where they just had a, a, quite a yeah. little hiccup, yeah. and then they're still affected by it because they're living in poverty. Um, we were able to um, get John um, into a nursing home um, that was kind of, it was out of the county, but it was somewhere kind of away from where people had been kind of preying on him because they knew he was so vulnerable. Um, and he, last I heard, was doing really, really well. Um, and that was part of the amazing work by the people at Homeless Healthcare. And that's just a snapshot of the people they serve every single day. Um, but I think that his case is so poignant because it just ex- exemplifies how easy it is for s- something to get messed up along the way. And because there are so many different systems and bodies and organizations and people working that interact with someone experiencing homelessness, those chances for someone to slip through the crack just increase. Yeah. Well, you know, you, that I mean, that's an incredible story of, of, of you know, personalizing somebody 
and then actually getting them the help they need. And I know one of the big programs that the, the city's excited about and, and has had some success is is what you mentioned at the very beginning, and that's the, the Veteran Homeless Initiative. Yeah. Um, so so kind of talk about that. And um, so do, do do veterans make up a significant part of the homeless population? Or? Yeah, it's 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 definitely something where you look at national averages um, and it's it's more so like homelessness is a a, a problem for the population of veterans. Um, and they they do make up a, a significant portion on national averages, and it's more likely for someone who has been a veteran to become homeless than a, a like say a normal person in okay. the population that doesn't have that service. Um, so that's why there's been a lot of stuff in recent years to kind of work to target that population, um, especially because they've served our country, um, and we try to give them a lot of different services. But Absolutely. as we talked about, it's easy for folks to fall through the cracks. Um, and so what we really tried to do um, at the city is bring all the people together that would interact with those with those veterans that were giving them those services. Um, the people like Community Kitchen, Homeless Health Care, um, the VA, the Housing Authority, all these different folks and say, hey, like what we really want to do right now is house this person. Mm-hmm. So everyone that is involved in that process, let's get them at the table and sit down and talk about it. And let's talk about the specific people, let's identify everyone that we possibly can. Um, and have a big list of their names and say, what does it take to get John housed right here, who's number one on our list? Um, And it was um, slow going at first. I was um, fortunate enough to be a part of the original case conferencing meetings um, and a role through Joe Johnson back when I was there on a a grant serving people experiencing homelessness. Um, I got to see it early on, um, and then I, I switched on a couple different roles and got to see it kind of throughout um, its lifespan. I um, interact with it in different ways. Um, and that's really where my predecessor, Heather, tried to bring people together. Um, and again, it, it's not everyone, all the different pieces of the puzzle were doing excellent work. Right, right. We're housing the people we're doing. And it's not, I don't want to say people all the same all the time. It's like, well, we're, we're, we're not serving veterans before. No, we absolutely were. And people were, were doing amazing work. Yeah. Um, it, it, we're not saying that at all. What we're saying is we wanted to try to bring that process together to streamline it for people. Because again, as we talked about before, um, there's so many different little pitfalls that people can fall into. Sure, um, and I think anybody who works for a, a company can understand how each one of these different branches who are totally separate from each other yeah. can be totally siloed. Yeah. And and that's just, that, that's not, there's no malintent there or anything like that. That's just the way it works. Yeah. And, and so to have an entity like the city really put these people in the same room or on the same table, uh, just kind of solve some of these issues. I mean, it sounds like that was the, that was the key, you know, you mentioned a puzzle piece. I love that. My, my mm-hmm. kids, you know, my daughter's four and, um, and she's becoming really good at puzzles, but the ones she can just kill or just is excellent at are the kind that have the borders, Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and that way she can, you know, she could fit in the pieces and figure exactly. out how they all worked. So it really sounds like what you guys created was the border. Um, uh, and, and you're able to put all these puzzles to pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Um, and there was a lot of um, great discussion and brainstorming to try to how to um, get people to where they needed to be. Um, and we, to date, have housed 358 veterans. That's since incredible. The, yeah, since the initiative was started. And again, that's that's through work of, of our partners. Um, and I have um, outreach specialists that have all been in their jobs longer than I have. Um, they are all telling me how to do things. Um, they're amazing. They do great work with people. They are the boots on the ground doing the work to get people 
um, whatever it, it takes to get them accomplished. And so if that if that looks like driving them to um, check out apartments, we, we do that. If it looks like, you know, helping them fill out forms, we do that. If it looks like needing a security deposit to pay on a place, we work with different partners. We look to see who has funding and we help them do that. Mm. Well, so you guys have had so much success with this that I know something that you're really excited about right now is you're actually looking to roll this out uh, the, you know, taking this model you guys pioneered with the home, with the homeless veteran population, and really rolling that out to the, to other uh, actors, other people within the homeless population. Um, so, so talk about that real quick. Like, what, where, where are you guys at with that? Because I know it's something yeah. you've talked about. Um, is, is that going to happen sometime soon? Yeah, for sure. It's so we are um, launching our interagency council on homelessness, and so it's not exactly the same model of um, is, our is that a new initiative. entity? The interagency? No, no, council no. It's actually um, something when Mayor Corker um, looked to first to kind of tackle the issue of homelessness and and we released something called the blueprint um, back when he was in office that was a body that was established as part of that plan as to address homelessness as a systems level Um, and that brought different entities together Um, it was members of foundations it was faith-based communities it was service providers all at a table to kind of look and see like hey what is our strategic plan to address this here in our community Um, and they actually saw a lot of really great results from that entity Um, and it's something where um, when mayor littlefield came into office um, it continued to good good work but then there were some splits as far as what they wanted the strategic goal to be and as with anything that's great it it kind of just had to run this course and fizzled out Um, what we're trying to do is really learn from um, the successes and the mistakes of both those things and resurrect this entity mm-hmm. and have it be a body where people can come together and talk. Well, it, have you guys made an announcement about this yet? Is so, there anything, can I point people to some place out there to read yes, about Yes, so we are announcing uh, Monday, March 19th um, about this. And so for you listeners, um, that's actually in the yeah, past. I think that's going to be, yeah. At, this episode will come out after the 19th, but yeah, go ahead. So there'll be show notes about this. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes about what okay, Sam's cool. talking about right now, but go ahead and tell us about the announcement that's coming on March 19th. Yeah, so March 19th, um, the mayor is signing an order to um, create this body, and we've had a lot of really great conversations with people laying the groundwork for this. Um, it's been members of the service community. It's been members of the faith community. It's been hospitals. It's been law enforcement. It's been the jail. It's been um, just social innovators, people that um, are invested in, in trying to address this issue in our community. And the goal is we are going to come together, build a plan to have that response um, that our community will to the systematic problem of homelessness. And then once we create that, we develop that system, we have clear goals in mind um, into how we want to address this issue. And that body will then see how we're working to address those goals. Um, what we're looking to do as part of it is have a fund that that body oversees and it have it open it up to people to apply for grants from that fund to, um, address specific like ask tasks in the plan. Um, so one of the things that a lot of other communities have done with similar things um, and similar plans is looking at um, permanent supportive housing um, within those communities. And that's you know paying for someone to have housing as long as they need it and have case management just to quickly get them off the streets. Um, that could be rapid rehousing dollars for those folks that get behind um, on their rent and just yeah. need a little bit of assistance. So they become homeless, they got the job, they just need to take care of those moving costs that are so expensive. Um, 
get them on their feet and set them on their way. Um, those are two of the big things that other communities have done. It could be something completely different. Um, we are really trying to bring new ideas and, and new people to the community and offer new collaborations that haven't man. existed Love before. innovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, you know, there's part of what I really see my role is being that person that can facilitate that collaboration and that innovation. Um, and it's, it's something that, again, it's not that any part of the puzzle itself is broken, but there's a lot more that we can do if we bring those puzzle pieces together. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really, really, really excited for this council. Uh, having been in the frontline person, um, I know how frustrating it's been when you're working with someone and they just, they move over here outside of your reach and they're interacting with someone else and you just want some way to interact with that. You just want some type of, you know, thing. And there's, um, it's just hard to, to collaborate all that. And I, and I think this, this is a body to really raise those concerns. Um, it's something for um, that we want it to be where members of the community can look in turn and say, hey, what, what are people doing about this, the problem of homelessness in my community? What are people doing to help people? They can look and see the results from this council. And, and in a similar fashion of the when we had this veteran initiative, one of the things that we really did is just celebrate success, mm-hmm. celebrate the success yeah. when, when our agency partners house someone. Yeah. Um, we got to be like, hey, look, there's, an, there's another person we've housed like, in generating these reports and look at all this great work that everyone's doing. Same thing with this. You know, We want it to be something where um, it, it can be a source of pride for people in the community to see that we're actually addressing this problem. Yeah, and, and and that's why I want you on the podcast. You know, like like the the point of what I, what I want the point of this podcast really to be is that actually help celebrate those things, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you it's really and, and I've told people this before. It's really easy to look out in Chattanooga and see all the big problems and the big issues facing our city and, and complain about those things. Yep. What's what's a lot harder to see and understand is that there are whatever problem is you see in the city, there are I can promise you there's so many people out there doing incredible work mm-hmm. uh, trying to fix that exact problem. Mm-hmm. And so we want to highlight those people here on the podcast and make people aware of them. And uh, and Sam, that's why I wanted you on the podcast today. Yeah, man. I, I And I, I'm a very small part in this. And I, I will be the first to say that anytime we talk about success for, for um, working with people experiencing homelessness, I got to point back to our agency partners. I got to point back to um, Community Kitchen, Homeless Healthcare, Joe Johnson, Cadis, um, all the mental health providers, um, Room in the Inn, Family Promise, uh, AIM Center. There's all these places and I can't even, there's so many different people that are doing so many different things I can't listen to them all. And if I've worked with you in the past and I forgot to mention you, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I, I love all you guys and you guys are doing great work. Um, and I think it's something where I, I, I talk to them and I say, We're, this is about giving you the support you need. Yeah. Um, and helping you do your job, right. You're helping you have your job done easier. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really amazing people in the city that are doing great work and they don't get the credit they deserve. You know, working with a, with a homeless population like this and, and especially with your background with mental health patients and that kind of thing, like I, I would imagine, um, I just would imagine it's not hard to get burnt out. Mm. So how, what, what are some practices? What are things that you do? you know, uh, now that you've been in this for about five years now, like to, to keep yourself from getting burnt out, like how, how is it that you remind yourself that these, these are human beings yeah. um, that have dignity yeah. and they, they are part of our community. This, this is not a problem that we want to shove to the side. Yeah. These are people we want to uplift within our community. Yeah. What do you, how do you do that? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, um, something that I really just try to stress wellness. Um, and I was fortunate that, um, in my master's program, um, when I got my master's in clinical mental health counseling at UTC, um, my professors really stress wellness as well. Um, they said it's a, it's a vital part of working with any, um, um, 
doing any type of helping work, doing any type of therapy that you will be drained from it. Um, and I actually had, it was, it was really funny you asked this question because I had a time, um, it was when I was working on this grant called the PATH grant, and it was designed to really engage people with serious mental health issues um, and try to bring them into services. And I, and I was doing outreach then, and, and I was working in homeless health care, and I was working on all these really difficult cases and difficult people, and I was not having much success. And I was really just feeling um, overwhelmed, and I got really burnt out, and I had to take a, a few days off. Um, and it, I got to talk to a lot of my professors during that time of like, hey, I, I'm not doing this right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not having a, a good balance. I'm not, um, something's off here. And I think what they really encouraged me to do is just look at, you know, what are the things that I, that re, re, that re-energize me? Yeah. What are the things that um, let me feel rest? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's uh, unique for all individuals, but there's a lot of um, things that are common amongst folks. Listening to music does a lot of good for folks, um, just meditating or spending time in prayer, um, being involved in, um, faith organizations or just having, spending time with friends. Um, I think, I think are big for me, it was really just, uh, allowing myself time to rest and feel, you know, I I think it's something where, um, to anyone who out there is in the service community, it's something that you kind of have to come to grips on that there is suffering in the world. Um, and no matter what anyone does, we're not going to change that. Not in this lifetime, at least. And it's, it's tough when you try so hard to work with people. Um, you have to, I think you start to really feel that when you, when you see their stories and as people stick with you. Um, and it's just taking time to focus on you and having grace with yourself and saying, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, um, not have all the answers all the time. I'm going to make mistakes. Uh, it's something I tell my, my wife, Allison, all the time. It's like, hey, like, I'm not perfect. Like, yeah. it's okay. It's okay for, for you to be upset. It's okay for me to be upset. It's okay for both of us to be upset and, 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 and like, mad at the world and tired. And, you know, there's going to be days where you just, the best you're doing is a C. Yeah. You know, and that's just life. And I think really constantly reminding myself and of that, and there's days I'm, I'm better and worse at it. Um, but that really helps me, you yeah. know, and it's just giving myself space to feel how I feel in the moment is, is fine. And I, I think that there's times like where when you're working with people, you got to kind of curve those feelings yeah. at times to really be effective with them. And that's kind of part of the game is being able to do that. But then once you're out of those situations, um, giving yourself self time to decompress yeah. is, is really valid. I, I, I always got to plug therapy as a therapist, um, for folks that are having difficulty processing stuff like that. Um, I really believe in the power of that and just spending time talking with someone who's had that training. Um, and that can take a lot of different forms, um, of what that relationship is and what you get from that. And I've personally haven't been through, um, my fair share of therapy, mm. um, to help process a lot of these things. And it's really been life-giving for me. Well, you know, talking about refreshment, you know, I do want to end on this fun, one fun question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are recently married to Allison. Yes. And uh, so let's, pre- let's say you guys have a, um, an empty appointment book on a Saturday, a full tank of gas, um, you know, within a 30-mile radius of Chattanooga. You know, what are you guys going to do to find refreshment and, and relaxation and stuff like that? Oh, man, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I say we do a lot of different things. I think the thing we do on a typical Saturday, honestly, is just walk on down to Bluegrass Grill. Okay. Like, Perfect, and man. just in, enjoy that, um, get some amazing food, and just sit and, and, and decompress and take our time. And then we just, after that, lazily walk 
up and down South or Main Street um, and check out different places down there. So that's that's the typical Saturday to, to relax. Yeah. So when you say you, you go to Bluegrass Girl, you mean you go and you stand, you wait in line thirty minutes. Oh yeah. And you don't even notice it because you're so excited about exactly, what you're exactly exactly. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot of places in town that there's waits and you know some places are worth it, some places aren't. Bluegrass Grill is always worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And they're and they're so they're so amazing there and so efficient that it's just they process so many people so quickly. Um, and all the staff is just so wonderfully nice that you don't notice it at all. Yeah. What do, what do you get when you go to Bluegrass? Oh man, it's it's different stuff, and I've had different seasons. I um, one of the things that was kind of not typical was you get the the biscuits with the sausage gravy and mm. then eggs on top of that. Yeah, when you kind of kind of build that a little bit, it sounds delicious. But I've been getting the uh, the Greek omelet as of late. Okay. And throw a little bit of hot sauce on there, and yeah. oof. I get the corned beef hash every time. Oh, yeah, that's, time. it's so good. It really, you can't, that's one of the places, you know, it, anytime someone has a favorite restaurant, they're like, oh, you can't go wrong with anything there. It's literally everything yeah. at Bluegrass. You cannot go wrong with it. And if, if I'm going there for lunch every now and again, I always get the special. Just That's one of those things, just give me the special because it's so fun to try something new and the soup that they have there are always just to die for. All right, man, so Saturday, Bluegrass Grill. Yep. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you so much to Sam for coming on the podcast to discuss the issue of homelessness in Chattanooga. I don't know about all of you, but what was so eye-opening for me is to imagine how broad the definition of homelessness really is and how many people this affects in our community. You know, as we were talking, I was reminded of the, the work of Andy Crouch, who's someone I follow, and one time we invited him to Chattanooga for a conference that we hosted, and he said something I'll never forget. We were talking about human flourishing and how we define flourishing for our communities. And he said this, The test of flourishing for a community is whether the most vulnerable and marginal are participating and contributing to the good of the community. And until the most at risk are flourishing, we cannot speak of a flourishing city. Now we all know the plaudits and recognition that our city has received, and many of them are well deserved. But until we can live up to that definition of flourishing, our work will never be over. So thank you to Sam and all the many organizations in our city that are coming together to tackle this challenge in a concerted effort. What I love so much about this strategy is recognizing the need to bring so many services and organizations to the same table in order to bring broad solutions to this systemic challenge. And hopefully we can see the same sort of results in our general homeless population that we have seen with the efforts to house our homeless veterans. Like we said in the episode, if this is something you want to learn more about, then please check out the links we've left in the show notes. Thank you so much to the Chattanooga Public Library and their studio where we recorded this episode, and a shout out to our producer, Mr. Charles Allison. If you have a project that you've been wanting to create, whether that's learning about audio engineering or even your own podcast, then check out chatlibrary.org, or better, just come up to the second floor of the downtown library. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please take a moment and leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast from. And if you have any feedback for the podcast, don't hesitate to shoot me an email, matt at missionchattanooga.org, or reach out on Twitter, either at the Camp House or at mattjames24. Our goal here is to connect, inform, and inspire you about what's happening here in Chattanooga. So thank you all for taking time to listen, and I hope you have a great day.